0: All right, welcome to another dissecting popular IT nerds, where we're allowed to geek out with a fellow nerds. Today, I'm excited to introduce John Burke, who wants to help us find our uh, purpose and our dream. So, John, tell us a little about yourself and why today's topic is so important to you. Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to geek out over
1: uh, right over on. it as well. <laughs> Keep going. Um, Keep going. Yeah, oh, you're good. So. Um, I'm a solution consultant and I work with, uh, several businesses, uh, different sizes and some educational institutions and, and help them determine, you know, IT strategy, their security posture, and then with some solution architecture as well for large projects. Okay.
0: Um, tell me a little more about that security posture and, and what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So
1: cybersecurity as a whole, um, a lot of organizations are still kind of in that mindset. Like, Hey, we, uh, we haven't been hit before. It's not that big a risk. Um, and a lot of times they've got their insurance provider kind of screaming down their, their throat. Like, Hey, we got to, um, shore up some of these cybersecurity things within the organization. And uh, a lot of organizations just haven't put that much focus on it yet.
0: You know, I ran into a lot of that in my ten years as CIO. The the, the CFO did not want to open up the budget towards security until you know, until an incident's happening. If if we're not suffering from it, why why pay for it? And and we didn't. Yeah, I I can't even go into some of the details on that because I don't want to expose things that I shouldn't. Um, (laughs) Right, but. But yeah, and it's way too many, I think, way too many organizations have that mindset of, you know, if it's not happening, then, then I'm good. We're, we must be doing everything we need to so that we're not a target. Or sure. either that or, you know, oh, we only make $500 million a year. We're, we're a tiny company. Why would they aim at us? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the reality is they don't they
1: don't uh, discriminate like that i mean they're going to they're going to attack any opening they can find uh because at, at the end of the day it's a it's a volume business for um for the criminals and it that's really what it's evolved into is organized crime they're very they're very intelligent they have very powerful tools they spend a lot of money on development and training just like organizations that want to you know, defend
0: against them do. You know, that it's, I, I've been seeing advertisements for a, a new show coming out. I think it's called cubicle um, where, where it's a, a sitcom about working for the cyber criminals and, and being the one attacking, but it's kind of like what you were just talking about. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a numbers game, just like spam used to be. If I can get one in a thousand people to click on the, the link for the ED med- medicine, medicine, then if I send out 10 million of them, then I'm making some money off of this. So, yeah.
1: And I wouldn't say it's necessarily new. You know, even back in the day when uh, if you think about when we sold a lot of McAfee or Symantec <laughs> antivirus, um, oh. even then you had organizations that said, ah, we've, we've never had a virus. We've never uh, really been faced with that. It's not a risk that we are concerned about. And so it's, it's not necessarily a new mindset. It's just kind of, um, it, it is challenging to, uh, balance, um, having a business conversation without trying to introduce a lot of, a lot of fear.
0: So, um, and I know it's, I'm already deviating from what, what, what we kind of planned on talking about, but how did you find, what's the way that you found to have that conversation to start that conversation? and and what's been your most successful strategy in doing that in and, and helping convince somebody not necessarily through fear like you just said but convincing them that that they need to really think about this and take it serious yeah
1: yeah that's that's a really good question because it leads to you really need to have a tr- <laughs> you have to have a trust relationship with your um with your client or customer. I I don't feel like that's a conversation you can go in and have, uh, with a brand new prospect because, uh, there's a lot of realities
0: to it. Yeah. Yeah. And in all honesty, from, from that CIO point of view, I would, I would just take it as you want to sell me something versus you're honestly trying to help me protect the business. Um, and, and avoid something. It, yeah. I would just have that that sarcastic viewpoint of, oh, oh, you just want to sell. So got widgets.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so so you see it because you've been on that side of the table. It's um it's hard to have that conversation about all of the risks because they're 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 more or less perceived risks. I mean they are real. But they, if if you haven't been exposed to those, they're not necessarily real to you. And so uh, it, that's one thing I just encourage a lot of organizations. You know, it's kind of like the old um, what was that commercial for the uh, the mental health? You know, if you don't get help at Charter, please get help somewhere. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I encourage them to do. Is, is you know get some get some uh guidance on
0: your cybersecurity posture yeah most definitely i mean it's again well you know there's so many scams out there there's people preying on individuals just trying to get a couple of thousand dollars sent to their country um and and that's like i i don't know how many weeks of wage but whatever amount of time that they invest into it it's way worth it to the people on the far side and they're willing to attack elder individuals just trying to get a couple of thousand dollars versus the companies that have millions of dollars so yeah pay attention to that let's let's take a different tack let me let me step back tell me a little more about your history dive dive deeper like how did you get started into tech and and was that was that the plan from the jump was this how did you get led into technology
1: yeah for sure so uh it's it's so funny because my parents um had bought my dad brought home a computer in the uh, late 80s and they had done a honeywell mainframe conversion at his company and they had these individual computers called trs 80s made by radio shack <laughs> i remember and that. uh I I remember you had to have a moving company for this thing to move that thing. Um, It had three five and a quarter inch disk drives. And it had a cassette player for backups. And uh, all these accessories, you know, the modem was uh, this big box that connected with a serial cable. Anyway, I got really into the application side of it. There was a uh, spreadsheet program called busy Cow. and um i got some experience with spreadsheets and then i got some experience writing programs in basic and um just started enjoying computers and we bought our first personal computer uh probably around maybe 1990 1991 and got connected to uh AOL. you know they send you the cds with the free actually back then it was probably floppy disks but you get free you know 25 minutes or whatever.
0: Uh, no, they were selling the TVs by. Uh, no, wait, wait. You're talking about on the TRS 80. So it was, it still was floppy. Yeah.
1: No, this would have been on our first. We bought one at Sam's. You know, they were like $2,500 in, in 1991 money. Um, I remember is a 486 DX
0: 266. Ooh, top of the line, brother.
1: <laughs> and. Uh, over the years, we added the CD ROM drive and the sound card um, and all the things. But uh, so my parents decided for me, hey, you're going to go into computers, which is how I wound up as a uh, certified mechanic out of high school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wait, um, wait, wait. They said computers and you're a mechanic. Wait.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've ever been 16 before, but when they say, this is what you're going to do, you're like, that is exactly not what I'm going to do. So, what other interests do I have? And it was, um, you know, hot rods and sports cars and super things up. And so, Perfume yeah, that was. It. And,
0: and um, auto fumes. <laughs> so you
1: have been 16 before.
0: I have, <laughs> and, and you ask my wife, and I still am. <laughs> Actually, it. she doesn't even give me 16. She's 13.
1: Okay, well, that's progress. So. So I went into, uh, auto mechanics and, um, just by happenstance, uh, a guy from the phone company and I were having a conversation, uh, you know, mechanical conversation. Uh, he said something I said about playing modem strings at home in my free time as a hobby caught his attention. And he said, you need to come and, uh, install dsl for us because there's a there's a shortage of people that understand that language and so that's how i wound up back in it uh did that for the phone company for quite a while and then moved on to the cable company when cable broadband was becoming a thing and they're rolling that out and then um just move more and more into networking okay and then from from
0: networking where'd you go to
1: so I spent uh, a lot of years um, as a, as a engineer for hire. So I started kind of at the tier one supporting, uh, Cisco networks and, and telephony, uh, and then, uh, moved up into the project team and later into pre-sales and solution architecture. But kind of had, I've gotten to fill a lot of those different roles. And so uh, later in my career, um, I took a, a virtual CIO role as a VP for a technology company and to build a team, build an MSP from the ground
0: up, and that was a lot of fun. So what year uh, was that you were doing virtual CIO? Because that's that seems to be more of a, a common term today, post pandemic. And I'm getting, I'm inferring that you were doing that pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, we, we started, we founded that company in 2013. So 2013, 2014, uh, were the years we spent building that company before my exit. And so that was, uh, what a time to be a managed service provider because the industry had just started the shift from, uh, we've got a guy, like a, you know, an IT guy we call when our systems are having trouble right. to, yeah, this is a functional piece of the business. This is a utility we're dependent on this as much as we are electricity and and telephone service. And so that was uh, a great time to enter the industry. In fact, I'd I'd probably say we were a couple of years too late as founders, but uh still a, a great time to jump in and start
0: off in those services. Okay. And um so um let me tie this into the introduction, finding our dreams and, and our purpose. How? because, I mean, you started off, um, you showed an aptitude for computers and then your parents say, hey, you should do this. And you go, "Well, no, uh, whatever, dad. <laughs> and, and then go learn uh, about cars. And then they ask for some help. You end up back in that direction. Um, Tell me a little more about how, how and why this is the topic. Get me there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, finding
1: your dream, that's, uh, over the years, I've allowed people of influence to tell me this is what success looks like. This is, this is what you should strive for. And so, uh, one of my mentors, Love him to death. He's, uh, my rich dad and the rich dad, poor dad scenario. If you've read that book, um, mentored me ah, for the uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And I, I recommend that book for, for pretty much everybody. And so, uh, but in the book, uh, Kiyosaki has, uh, two dads. He has what he calls his rich dad, which was actually the father of a friend. Uh, but a, a huge mentor and influence in his life. And he talks about, uh, how that dad, dad led him down the path of investing and, uh, and entrepreneurship. And then poor dad was his biological father that kind of encouraged him to, you know, take the safe route, you know, get the, uh, get the education, get the good job and, um, you know, get the good retirement and, and those, those things. And, and not to say either one of those is right or wrong, but you, the, the, uh, gist of the book is you choose your own path and find a mentor for whichever. And so, um, I had a mentor for a lot of years that kept telling me, you know, you ought to be in sales and sales. and, and really the driving reason behind that was it created the lifestyle that he wanted. And so the thought was you'll make enough money to, to have the lifestyle that you want, but maybe that's not the lifestyle that I want. You know, I don't need the Mercedes with the big hood ornament. <laughs> and so, um, but you work,
0: man. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly.
1: You know, I've got, um, I mean, my, my exotic car is a, is a Duramax pickup. So that's, uh, that's when people know you've made it. We, uh, I worked and worked to build the skills that I thought I needed to be successful in that role. And I got into that role and I, I was successful and I was miserable.
0: Well, um unfortunately, I understand a little about that <laughs> you know so, I, I, I yeah. followed some of the was that same path, you know people saying, "Um, you should try this, or you should try this or or you know I'm doing things, and that next kind of opportunity and it was i I followed more of the path of least resistance than yeah um, looking for that dream,
1: yeah, yeah, that's I had become so. Influenced by, uh, kind of other people saying, this is, this is what success is. This is what success looks like. And part of that was the industry I was in. Um, in that industry, you know, account executives are by far the highest compensated, uh, but also the least, they bring the least amount of perceived value. So to be highly compensated, obviously they bring a lot of business value. Uh huh. But, you know, both the customers and the engineers will say it's really the engineers that, that, uh, are the secret sauce. They put everything together. They do this. And so the account executives really are, are relationship managers and negotiators. Um, and so there's not a lot of necessarily perceived value, but a lot of business value and it's highly compensated, but I get, all the way to winning a president's club award, and go, man, I've climbed to the top
0: of a mountain I didn't even want to climb. And and what? So when you found, when you recognize that quandary, when you recognize that in your life, what happened? How how did things manifest at that point? I mean, because typically in my life, when when I come to a realization like that. Um, there's more ripples in the pond it it goes out beyond just you know being at that top of that mountain so to speak and going Ugh, I don't like this for you um it's you know that that lack of enthusiasm has spread amongst other aspects of my life it's now sure. affecting the family it's now affecting um, for me work family that's basically life. Um, Talk to me. Yeah. For so, you, what was it, it like for you?
1: It was a very interesting time because um, I was I was under some pressure, uh, of course. New year, new quota. So the year started off under a little bit of pressure anyway, and so I didn't realize uh, probably till about a week into the year that I'd won a Presidents Club, but also had this new uh, higher goal set, and so. Uh I've come off the treadmill running hard, you know, over the holidays, thinking, man, we did it. Now we've got to do it again, only to be, you know, to be told, hey, not only do you have to do it again, but you gotta do it another twenty-five percent. Yep. And so uh the middle of January I actually had my first uh panic attack ever. And didn't even realize it was really induced by just all the all the stress I was under. And so I kind of I don't want to say I took my foot off the gas, but I took a different approach. I said I'm gonna be more consultative and I'm not gonna be um as as focused on the numbers. Uh because it's really easy to get wrapped up in just focusing on numbers and uh you kind of forget why it is that you do what you do. Right. right. So I called a couple of, of clients that i have been really close to some of these folks I've worked with for close to 20 years, uh, whether it was as a, a support moving into their project guy, moving into the the guy helping steer their strategy. And I said, you know, what value do I bring to your organization and the role that I'm in? And it, and it was, it was funny. I brought a lot of different, you know, they said, uh, no longer are you the one that brings the, the technical solution. You now bring, um, forecasting, like help us plan 12, 18, 24 months out. You now bring, uh, negotiation with the manufacturer. So in some cases we're seeing better pricing than we've ever seen. Uh, but i you know the more of these conversations that we had i thought man i like
0: solving technical problems and that's not what i'm doing see I, I i love solving those technical problems too and and i started off doing that and then started getting away from it because i ended up managing the people who were solving the technical <laughs> problems
1: <laughs> yeah and you're you're sitting there from up high, looking down, going, "Man, I wish I could go down and play with those
0: guys, right?" Yeah, at times, yeah, definitely. And or I, I see it, I see it, and and like the last couple of years has been doing my best to just keep my mouth shut and allowing them to grow through that experience, to allowing them to have the experience and to learn and figure these things out instead of just handing it to them. Yeah, which. You know, there, there's a, a balance to that one, too, because it's a, a balance between um, achieving the goal for the business and helping somebody to grow.
1: Yeah, for and, sure.
0: And, you know, I I can make it where the well, I can help make sure the business still achieves the goal. I can do it a little bit faster if I don't give them the chance to grow. But then, <laughs> you know, if when if and when I'm gone, then they didn't grow. And they're still steps back. And now, now the organization gets hurt in a different way. That's the dichotomy. There
1: were a yeah, lot of times is. that, that, uh, the architecture didn't match exactly what I had in my head. But I've got to let everybody own their role in the organization. And so, um, you know, you kind of got your ego is not your ego. And Amen. I had to shut, <laughs> shut that guy up and say, we're going to move forward with, what uh, my team has put together uh even if I don't always agree with it and so that was um it, it was definitely a personal growth experience in that role because I had to learn a lot of new ways to be me but in the end I realized I'm not being me I'm not doing what I want to do I'm I'm finding opportunities but I'm not the one that gets to solve these problems it's um i'm bringing my team to solve them
0: so as you recognize that you're not being you that you're not being true to what you want to do how do you find what you want to do how did you find what you wanted to do or did you already know and and it was just allowing yourself the permission to go do (laughs) so i think
1: you really have to take some time and reflect on individual experiences. So think about projects that you've done. Think about companies and teams that you've been a part of and then ask yourself how you feel about that. And you've really got to have some quiet. You really got to have time to just let your mind kind of wander and it, it might sound mystical or, or. It's something like that. But you really have to be able to focus on just that and allow yourself to feel. And so think about times that you've laughed harder than you've ever laughed. And think about times that you've been more stressed than you've ever been. And as you go through those experiences, you start realizing these these things bring me joy. and These things bring me pain. And I want more of the joy things. I want less of the pain. All
0: right. Any other, any other thoughts? Any, any, did you find yourself going out on a camping trip, a hunting trip? Did you, you know, or we do that, just yeah. trying to find a place and a time to get alone? Because alone? you've got kids, man. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's one
1: of the things, um, my kids actually teach me a lot about me because <laughs> I'll look at things, I'll look at things that either, you know, make me bust out with pride or make me kind of cringe or go, oh man. And then I get to ask myself, like, is is that me? Did they learn that from me? Did they pick up that behavior from me? And a lot of times it's yes, and I go, I've got some some work to do. Um because we you know my wife and I were talking uh yesterday in fact and uh we were talking about a situation we were in But I said, if my kids ever told me, hey, you let me down, I wouldn't immediately turn around and go, well, you this is your part in it. Right. I would be internally devastated. I would go, man, what do I have to do to make it right? Like and and so in that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of accountability in looking at their behaviors and going, are they just mirroring what they've learned for me and what do I need to do to change it? And then what do I need to do to to teach them the things
0: I never knew? So and so I I d I wanna jump in for a second there, because I I don't don't know that many people who are able to stop and and really evaluate internally or evaluate themselves and where was I at fault versus that immediate defense? Because it seems to be, and I'm an American, I've lived in America my whole life. So I think that it's everybody um, and not just like an American thing, but but I don't know Um, because I haven't, I have not run into that many people. I, I think it's a small subset of the population who can stop and ask that question the way you put it. You know, my kid comes up to me and says, you disappointed me. And, and I want to go into defensive mode. I want to defend myself. Mm -hmm. I I know other people in my household who don't have the ability to pause and they immediately go into, well, you're, and it's like, I, I watch my children with each other and, and they're immediately at each other. Neither of them are going well. Okay. Yeah, and and I don't know whether it's an age thing, an experience thing. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Uh, maybe a little both. I don't know that it's an age thing because, uh, I, I struggled with it for years, uh, being, being the, uh, one who couldn't accept fault. And so if, if you really start researching it, you'll realize there's some psychological things, uh, from childhood. You know, if you're praised for doing good, but chastised for making mistakes and things like that, those can develop into these uh, ego issues where you can't you can't be wrong. But one of the most powerful things I read a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, and there's some exercises you can do in that book and you just start owning your part of situations. So if something happens that's completely out of control, you can still recognize your involvement in that situation. And what could I have done differently to maybe make this outcome different? And so as you go through those exercises, early on, it's hard because you're like, no, this this person is totally in the wrong. This guy screwed this up. You know, this this happened between these two people. I wasn't even involved. Uh, but as you, as you start reflecting on what could I have done different? And then, uh, another great piece is having an accountability partner where you go, this happened. I don't think I could have controlled it, but if I had engaged or if I had, um, intervened and done X, I think the outcome would have been a lot different for these other two individuals. And so, you just start realizing um, a lot of things that happen around you can be influenced by your behaviors or your inaction. And then um, in situations you're involved in, the outcomes can radically change if you just change one or two ways you interact with people.
0: Yeah. The struggle I run into with this and in the beginning, yeah, it's like like what you're talking about. Um, but I find later on too, that, that even when I'm willing to be accountable and to take ownership and to, um, to face the failures or the, um, the opportunities for growth. And, um, even when I'm willing to do that, I, I watch others around me and, and I know I can't or I shouldn't be trying to hold them accountable for their parts of it because that's not me holding myself accountable. That's me trying to transfer that blame again. But I, I'll take ownership of the things that they point out at, at me and, and then they just get to go, ha! see, I was right. And then they walk off and I'm like, <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, and, and of course I, <laughs> it was a visual thing. I'm sitting there grinding my teeth and making fists and, Frustrated and um, very upset and, and they could walk away free. And I'm I know I'm growing and I'm getting better. But, you know, in the office politics, I think that's one of the areas. Um, they, uh, it was a source of unhappiness for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's um, I mean, truthfully, there's positions I wouldn't even consider because. Uh, those kinds of dynamics, those kinds of politics are, are there in that organization. And it's just, it's, I want to do something that I'm happy doing. And if I know that the situation is going to bring me misery, I'm going to think twice about, uh, taking a position, you know, and so, uh, but yes, that going back to what you said, the, the finger pointing, that's going to be a big part of taking responsibility. Uh a lot of people are going to just directly attack you. Uh I had one manager that would that would tell me all the time like I don't want you to accept responsibility. I want you to be different. And you know, I was on this path of uh self recognition, you know, identifying the faults and addressing them and that you're not going to change overnight. Right. Um one of my coaches says, uh, he says, one of the most powerful things you can do is get to a place where you don't care what other people think about you. And so you're like, oh, yeah, that would be great. But if you ever figure out how to do that, tell me, because yeah. I've been I've been after that for years. And so it's it's really hard to let that go. Um. So th- that's. uh. That's not to say all your relationships will magically heal. Um, and people won't still point the finger at you. And if you're willing to take blame, a lot of people will just let you, right? Then he'll, yeah. uh, he'll say, yeah, I could have done something different. And then we can wash our hands of it and, yeah. and that's fine. Um, but, uh, it, you know, wh- you can get to a place where you're more concerned about what people think of you. Uh, that you'll actually start changing your behaviors. You know, I had, I had a leader one time that I reported to that, uh, it just felt like every conversation we had was, was adversarial and combative. And it's really hard as a subordinate. Um, cause you, you don't look forward to those conversations. And, um, I found myself, you know, operating outside of integrity, saying I was doing one thing and doing another or not being completely forthcoming about what I was doing strictly because I was avoiding that negative reaction. And so had I been at a place where I could say, I'm just going to be authentic and honest and let the chips fall. Um, that relationship, I don't think would have been so adversarial, but I was so focused on, what's the response going to be if I'm honest that at times I wasn't and I regret it, but all I can do is learn from that experience.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that it's, it's amazing how much that can affect you. And I know it affected me and um, you know, I, I too had a relationship where it was a work relationship of um, always feeling like I, I always had to come in begging for, asking for, and and never really any any feedback. It was always so. I felt like I don't know. I just struggled with that one, and and was I question myself now today? Um, how much whether I was operating in integrity? I like how you said that um, with integrity. In integrity, um, I know I avoided conversations. I know I I know I hurt my coworkers because I wouldn't go in and fight for their raise that they deserved because I didn't want to have that conversation because it was always such an adversarial, uncomfortable, unfun. And, and there was no, it was always a fight. It was, it was always a fight. And it was always a negative to the person that I was asking for. I could go in there and I could take care of my people and I could tell them all of these things and, and build them up. But when I went to try to validate that through financial means, yeah, yeah. struggle.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think – and I think a lot of people probably listening to the podcast have dealt with a similar situation. And I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer other than to um, remain in integrity and be honest. And if if you get removed from the position or – you know, there's negative outcomes. You know, maybe it wasn't the right the right role for you, or the right place. Uh, it wasn't where you belong. And so, I think that probably would have come to light a lot sooner had I been willing to get uncomfortable and have those conversations. You know?
0: Yeah, and and you know, that's really kind of some of the stuff that I was hoping that we talk about. And I'm, and thank you for helping bring this topic up and and let having this conversation. Because so often, you know, I, I, you're somewhere around interview number thirty for me, and so okay. I've been talking to people, and and we're talking. Okay, you got to talk the business talk. You got to be able to talk. You got to understand the business. You got to understand the why. You got to understand these things, and mm-hmm. and these are the personal, true um, conversations oh. and and growth that we need to see and experience, and and it's it's almost that that. Discussion that nobody wants to have. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The tactical is easy. Yeah. 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 We're problem solvers. We like solving problems. Give me, give me that yeah. Rubik's Cube. I'll figure that thing out. If we're, okay. if we,
1: if, yeah, if we live in the tactical, I don't have to say, man, I've been dishonest. I don't have to say, man, I've been, you know, a, a crappy employee. I've been somebody I wouldn't want to hire. Like, I, I don't have to I don't have to admit that if I remain over here in the tactical, Um but it's it's real. And it's, you know, it impact being being dishonest and operating outside of integrity with a leader has ramifications far beyond just how it impacted my position at the time. Right. This is somebody that has relationships with other leaders in our industry, you know, certainly with other. Partners and manufacturers in our industry, um, and other employees in that organization. And so now there are a lot of people that can hear about, um, incidents that happen where I wasn't completely honest. And those can now be, um, you know, misconstrued in any kind of radical ways. And so, I mean, that, that's, that's an impact far beyond just. You know, a reprimand or a write up in, in one position. So, um, that could, I mean, that could ultimately had I choose, had I chosen to remain in that role, uh, remain working with that leader for a long time. Certainly this could have impacted the way I interact with clients and, you know, other people that have known me 20 years and trust me.
0: And it, it definitely could have had far far reaching negative impact. So I'm I'm curious. Um hearing you say this makes me wonder have you climbed multiple mountains that you didn't want to climb? Or or was this kind of um was some of what you're talking about with that, that leader um involved with the, the initial mountain that you climbed and said, I didn't want to get up here.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yes and no <laughs> of course it can't be that easy. <laughs> So there are roles. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Is um, I moved into a role called Director of Network Integration, and really that meant build me an MSP. But as a director, you kind of think, okay, I'm going to have direct reports. That's not going to be fun. Uh, there are certain people that enjoy being in management and having having people report to them. I I was kind of on the opposite end. I was like, I have no interest in people reporting directly to me because I don't have the patience to hear about you can't come into work because your cat's throwing up <laughs> you know <laughs> it's uh and so I immediately my mind goes to this is a temporary thing I don't want to do this forever because of what I perceive the the role to be and actually I had I had a lot of fun in my three years in that role because. I didn't just, I didn't just manage people. I get to build a team. I got to meet with my team weekly and talk about what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's not working? Uh, so really a lot of times I was solving problems and making things better. And the, uh, the day to day management kind of takes care of itself because you've built a relationship with these. With these folks on your team and you can, you can have real conversation when their cat's throwing up and sick, <laughs> you know? So that was one that I would have said, man, I really, I don't ever see myself being a director. Uh, I don't see myself managing people, those kind of things, but that was one that was actually a lot of fun. And conversely, you know, as as a uh, a full time sales, as an account executive, I thought this is going to be this is going to be you know the pinnacle of my career, the apex. And I didn't. I guess the only thing I could have done differently is look at the job description and just dissect each piece of that. Because if I if I lived in the you got to update your pipeline and you got to be able to accurately forecast and you got to do, I think if I lived in that dissected it into bullet points, like what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? i gone, you're going to hate that because it's all numbers. It's all subject to change. You know, there's no science to it and, and it's going to take away from what you consider to be productive work, even though this is, valuable information and valuable work to the business you're not going to enjoy it so that it's hard to look at that mountain and go I do or don't want to do that without really understanding who am i what brings me joy what brings me pain and uh what roles contribute to that
0: so has you as you've hit the peak you've decided that this isn't what you want to do and, and you're this new discovery of of really trying to figure that out. Um, what were some of the barriers you ran into? What were the things that you had to overcome? So most of the barriers, if I'm 100%
1: honest, were were self imposed. I put them on my my self. So uh, I'm not, or I have I have not historically been very Detail oriented. Now, it, uh, from a scientific level, like a, uh, a network deployment, a data center deployment, I'll be very detail oriented because every device has got to have a name, right? An IP address
0: or. A cable you know, connected to it. <laughs> yeah. <like laughs> or some, join some kind
1: of URI. Yeah, yeah it's got to have some kind of URI, some kind of identification. But that trickled into um, in sales. Managing multiple different priorities at once and not, not being very detailed on each one probably limited my ability to execute. And so it definitely limited my ability to communicate to management the things that they were looking for. And so that, that's one that, uh, that I would address is, is attention to detail, uh, but also mindset anytime. Anytime I looked at something and thought, I can't do that or I won't be able to do that, that immediately constructed a barrier that really wasn't even there. So, I I mean, if, if you go, I don't have a, I don't have a college degree, but I've been a VP. I've, you know, I've acted as virtual CIO for a lot of companies. And so, uh, even today I advise people with high levels of education. But I, I advise them on, you know, what I know and I'm, I'm quick to admit when I don't know
0: something. Yeah. But, uh, about the experiences that you had versus the experiences that you want. <laughs>
1: for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was invited to leave my parents home at, at the age of 17. And so that, uh, there were a lot of people that didn't believe I would, I would ever amount to much. Uh, I, I think I was pushing, I was pushing baskets or I just left push a, a job pushing baskets at, at the uh, Sam's Club. And this was back before they had the little motorized, you see them now. They got motorized <laughs> things that push for them. Yeah. You no, know, we'd line up 70 carts and you'd have a guy up front steering and a guy pushing. And, um, alternate that, but just, just for the record, I didn't ever use one of those little motorized carts, but I, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I wasn't—I uh, I wasn't focused on education. I was just focused on that next paycheck, and a lot of people, uh, I think, thought you're not going to amount. And if I if I'd believed that and allowed that into my head, I think I'd be a lot farther behind where I am now.
0: All right, so this this brings up an interesting topic because I I'm struggling with some of my kids. Um, kind of around the same thing so so you find yourself you are invited to leave the house at 17 you're you have a job you're pushed parts um you're living paycheck to paycheck and um so and and i'm seeing this on social media too of that you know don't take any job that doesn't bring you that joy so even to get out of the door to survive those first couple of years. Um, a couple of my kids are like, no, I'm, I'm not going to flip burgers. I'm not going to go push carts. I'm not going to go do this kind of stuff because it doesn't bring me joy. And when I was growing up, it was, I need some money. So, Oh, yeah. you need dishes washed. Sure. Sign me up. I, I'm there. And, and I just kept moving from job to job to job. and, because I needed that I needed to keep the income coming in. So, you know what by the time I started working in computers, I had two kids. The uh, third mm-hmm. one was on the way and and I know I needed to make more money. Yeah. When the, when the second one was on the way, that's when I was like, Oh, bartending is not gonna cut this. I need more money. <laughs> so I, I go and get that education that, that we're talking about. And now but you know, it was just job to job to job to job. Um, without stopping and, and having that that soul-searching moment and saying, ah, I'm not going to do that job because it's not going to feed my soul. it's I'm going to do that job because it's going to put food in the fridge and now they won't leave the house because they're not going to do that job because it doesn't feed their soul.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's my fault for not kicking them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, so... I'm not what- listening to this. <laughs>
1: That's, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost come full circle. You know, I've got a son that's 17 and, uh, I remember a few years ago, my wife said, you know, your dad's gonna, going to go to start a technology company one day. Uh, you guys can work with him in the business and then take over the business. And he goes, you know, technology is not really my thing. It's that dad's thing. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go build. Performance cars. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was almost like, you know, a replay of my teenage years. It's this is how things are going to play out. And you're like, no, nah, I'm going to go do something else. And so uh, he's working for a uh, he's working for a tractor and implement company uh, around his school schedule. He's a part timer, but um he uh, he's not making much money. And so we—it's funny—we were out to eat the other day. When he comes to work for me, uh, I pay him really, really well because I can. You know, he's my kid. And I'm going to pay him well. But we were—we were at lunch the other day, and uh, he sees a sign in the window at the uh, restaurant that says "cooks $13, dishwashers 15 or vice versa: dishwashers $13, cooks $15. An hour and he goes, man, he's like, I'm only making $14. I can come over here and, and cook and make more. And I said, what, what are you going to do for a career? And he's like, you, you know, this, I'm going to go, I'm going to go build performance vehicles. And I said, okay. I said, your, your buddy's a, a dishwasher. I named him. I said, what is, uh, both of you go apply at the hot rod shop. Down the street and you've been doing what you've been doing. He's been washing dishes. I said, who do you think they're going to take a second look at? The guy with, you know, the tractor and implement company on his resume or the guy that's been washing dishes. So everything you do up until that point needs to, to be done with your ultimate goal. You can't get wrapped up in the, I'll make a dollar more an hour to flip burgers. You, you need to focus on. What skills do I need to develop? Because they're going to ask you um, if you've ever taken a transmission out. You're going to go, yeah, I took one out of a, a case IH-90 and split the case. And inside, there's all these components. And I've replaced these components inside that transmission, put the case back together, and bolted it back in a tractor. I said, you don't get to say that if you've been washing dishes. And they go, okay, we don't have to teach this guy how to turn a wrench. Where if you've been washing dishes, maybe maybe we do. And so uh, that's a long winded way of saying I try to keep him focused on, uh, like what's your end goal, and what activities can you do today to support getting you there.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was hearing in that was that that okay, it may not it may not align directly towards where I'm headed or where I want to get to. But as long as it's headed that same quadrant or that same direction, it's much better than something that's completely 90 degrees, 180 degrees from in, in experience towards where I want to get. For sure. So just like if I want to be an IT, if I want to learn computer engineering, the um, music major is probably not the best um, class choice. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I remember meeting a guy when I was working on his F-150
1: and uh, I said, uh, what do you do? He's, he's, uh, he's like a, a database engineer for IBM at the time. This it was probably 2000, 2001. And uh, I said, man, that's, that's kind of a dream job. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, StarTech, the Motorola, StarTech. Oh,
0: yeah. I remember those. Yeah.
1: Uh, they were cool because they was were. just a, Flip phone. This guy's got it made. He's got he's got the the lifted F one fifty with the pipes, and uh, StarTech, and you know, just like he's he's maybe a year or two older than me, and I, so I go, man, how'd you get that job? And he said, well, they recruited me. Really? He said, Yeah, I was uh I was in my last year of of MIS at Texas Tech and uh management of information systems degree. And he said, Yeah, they came and said, uh, we got a job for you as soon as as soon as you get that paper. And so I was like, Well, that's what I need to do. So I I applied at junior college and then quickly realized <laughs> this isn't gonna work. Like I'm I'm working full time supporting myself. Um, so I actually enrolled two different times in, in junior college and just never could make it work with the work schedule. Mm -hmm. So it'd be a lot easier now, um, with online school and everything else. Yeah. Back then it it wasn't happening. So that was, uh, that was, I kind of wish I'd had a mentor or somebody in my life that could have said, you know, you could take some of these these risks. Uh, and if you, if you
0: fail, that's okay. But you, know, uh, you need to take focus on that, that going. That we, and it's been mentioned a few times in a couple of the different interviews that I've done, but a mentor, finding a mentor or somebody that, that can, that you can talk to and get some, get some advice from and isn't going to tell you, you have to do this, but can help you discover, which path you want to go down, um, yeah. but can also provide some experience in things that they did as they journeyed through life. Um, yeah. I didn't really have much of a mentor. I actually, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier, the the rich dad and the poor dad. When you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself of who I had as mentors in my life and and nobody really appears, which is, you know, I, <laughs> At where I am in life, it's that's a little late for a mentor. Um so now that I've talked about that happy point <laughs> <laughs> Um you know what's something surprising, John? Tell us tell something about John that we don't know. Oh man. That's uh what's what's one of your non um, electrified passions? Non electrified you
1: know, I um I own ten 10- Barbecue pits, slash smokers, uh, slash grills, ten of them.
0: Ten of them, all different types of models, all different types of makes, or all, like five all of different. them, all different.
1: Okay. All different. I used to compete a little bit um, as a as a as a barbecue pit master. and so now really I'll just uh, I cook for a lot of friends and family. Every once in a while, we'll do what's called a, a pop up or um, but it's it's getting, you know, there's so many hoops you got to jump through with food safety and and to get permits and things like that. It's getting getting kind of challenging. Uh, I still do some charity events, but I just I really enjoy uh, there's something therapeutic about making a fire and using it to cook food.
0: <laughs> something primeval. <laughs>
1: there's something primal about it and uh whether you're at the deer lease and and you got a $25 little kettle grill or even even just throwing a rack on the on the fire pit sometimes uh there's just something about it it's uh satisfying
0: what which is your favorite grill
1: yeah. I've tried to I've tried to narrow that down I have to say probably the Weber kettle
0: Weber kettle okay is that the wow. one that looks like an egg or is that that's a different one
1: yes it does look similar to an egg it's it's been around since probably the 50s okay um, and I think I feel like the the original one that he built was made out of a buoy he just cut like a buoy in half and uh, it turned it into a grill but it's it's simple you know it's kind of an oval deep bowl with a a round egg-shaped top. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like an upside-down egg. Uh, it's not insulated like you'd think of with a big green egg or a Kamado smoker or whatever. Okay. Uh, but I've literally cooked. I can run that thing at 650 degrees to cook chicken wings, and I can run it at 225 degrees to cook full pork or brisket. And it's it's versatile. It's just not very roomy.
0: Okay. How many of how many out of the ten, how many of you had going all at the same time? <laughs>
1: Probably three or four. Three or there's four. Been, uh, yeah, there's there's one big event I do around Christmas, uh and, and they okay. they asked for, yeah, it's coming up. Uh they asked for brisket, they asked for ribs, uh pulled pork, and uh sausage. And so I cook those all kind of differently. And so I'll, I typically do ribs in what's called a, uh, uh, pit barrel cooker or ugly drum smoker. I have both, but, uh, they, they hang from hooks directly over the fire. And as, as they, uh, the fat drips off into that fire, it creates this phenomenal smoke. And, uh, so I cook ribs usually that way and I'll cook brisket usually on like an offset smoker. Uh, cause it's such a big cut that if you cook it direct heat, it'll take on so much flavor. And some people find it overpowering. So I'll cook it on just a traditional Texas offset.
0: Okay. Kind of like yeah. the, the traditional, um, chip smokers and.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you throw logs in and it's got the firebox on the side. And right. There's a big tube and just that one. They take a lot of work because you kind of got to keep them fed. But, uh, and that's the one that you got to like run overnight too. That's the one. It's it's the most traditional Texas
0: barbecue, I guess. So, so I got to ask for a favor and that is send me if you're willing to (laughs) send me your, your favorite spicy rub. Okay. From New Mexico, everything's got to be spicy. My wife was giving me crap about that recently. (laughs) Everything yeah. the chili in it. I'm like, not yeah, everything. Not my ice cream. But <laughs> so
1: there's um, there's one that comes to the top of my head called the Salt Lick, and they're down there. The main location's in Driftwood, Texas. They've got one up in Round Rock. Uh, they have one more somewhere. Anyway, Salt Lick, their rub has I want to say cayenne in it. Okay so that's one of those. It makes a really good rub. Uh, but I've had complaints from certain family members that oh, that's way too spicy. So yeah. it's one of my
0: favorites, but <laughs> yeah, well, keep eating it. Then it won't be so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Get used to the burn. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, John, I truly appreciate the topic and the time. Um, it's been a great conversation. Um, any any parting thoughts you want to leave us with? Any any other wisdom you want to throw down? Man,
1: the wisdom I want to leave: if if anyone takes anything away from from listening to this podcast, you know, um, don't let anyone else tell you what success looks like. Define for yourself what's going to make you the happiest, and what's going to be the most fulfilling, and pursue that. Uh, the dollars the dollars always seem to make sense of themselves. But uh, but one thing you can't get back is your time. And when you're spending time, whether it's in a job role or an organization, and you're not happy and fulfilled, you're just, you're just on a treadmill. So get off the treadmill and and do something that you enjoy. Go for a real run. <laughs> That's it. Go for a real run. I'm going to use that one on the next one. Get off the treadmill and go for a real run.
0: Yeah. See the, see the scene. Enjoy the air. That's it. All right. Thank you very much, John. And and as we uh, come to another close of a, a great dissect popular IT nerds, um, I invite all of our listeners to comment, rate the podcast on the iTunes store or wherever you're grabbing your uh, copy of the podcast. Please, we really appreciate it. Let us know how we're doing. Give us a comment. Tell John what you thought about today's topic because – this is something that, that we don't talk about in IT, and um, it's definitely something I think we should. And are you in the right place? Are you doing the right thing? And and do you enjoy solving those puzzles? Because if you don't, then hmm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I definitely enjoy the puzzles, but you know the politics. Hmm. <laughs>